Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we have uh, some, some, I think, very interesting things to discuss today. Thank God. Uh, thank God for the infinity of the Torah. The Torah never ends. It's endlessly, endlessly, endlessly deep. And um, it's just, uh, it's an expression of, of, of God's love for us that we, we just get to, to dig and dig and dig and to have more and more and more revealed to us, you know, the more we look into it. Um, so, so I want to, I want to begin, we're, we're going to talk about a lot of things. Uh, I, I always, you know, one of, one of the great things that, that Reb Shlomo, uh, was able to do in his teachings that was really transformational for, for me. And I think so many people and is he, he would make these wonderful, um, mushels, these wonderful, um, uh, analogies uh, or parables, if you will, and and he he would often talk about uh, just you know imagine you met your soulmate, and he would then you know just ex- express a thought like like for instance I, I'll give you one that I just ran across recently which is very representative of uh, uh, you know what um what Reb Shlomo would talk about all the time he said imagine you're waiting for your soulmate, like you have an appointment, and you're waiting for 2,000 years. So, so can you imagine you're waiting for 2,000 years, and then all of a sudden you hear their footsteps approaching, and you're so happy. And you realize, here's, here's the kicker, you realize that you never would have realized how much you love them unless you had waited that long. You realize that you would never have realized how much you love them unless you had waited that long. So so just like to kind of, to just to dip into the mechanics of, of what I just communicated. Again, that, that's Reb Shlomo talking about. You and a loved one. But obviously, he's talking about us and God. And um, what, what, he, what he's able, what, 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 Teachings like that are, are able to do, are, they're able to access the emotional um, aspect, the, the, the love aspect, the, the, the reality of a relationship, which is that, you know, there's nothing more concrete than you and a friend or you and a child or you and a parent or you and, and, and your husband or wife or whatever it is. I mean, that's, that's, that's the essence of everything, right? And so, so when we think increasingly um, about us and Hashem in an equally concrete, an equally real, an equally visceral relationship like that, um, everything becomes uh, transformed, and and that is that's the goal, and that's what um, that's what so many people miss, and they're when they miss that. When they when they think that it's just sort of some sort of intellectual discipline, um, then then they're literally missing everything. And as Reb Shlomo would say, time and time again, you can get everything right, and at the same time, you're getting everything wrong. 
You're missing the entire thing. You're doing everything right, and meanwhile, you're missing the entire thing. Why? So, in light of what we just said, why? Because a person has information, but they don't have that relationship. And an intellectual understanding is not a relationship. You know, I, I like to give this example that, um, that imagine, um, you know, I'm just talking about all the things that exist. And it's sort of like, I'm just making a list. It's rubber bands and, and hot dogs and, and, and football and concrete and, and God and, you know, baseball. And it's like, wait a second, what was, what was that one before baseball? God? God is not another thing on a list of things that exist. Everything exists within God. So, so, so to have a relationship with, with God is to have a relationship, you're, you're seeing God in absolutely everything. So every, every encounter with every person, every, every, every moment, even if it's putting on your socks and shoes, is actually you're interfacing with the divine because God saturates all of existence. Now remember, we say God saturates existence and exists dimensions beyond existence as well. It, it's not enough to say God fills the world, So, because the implication of that is God equals the world and the world equals God. So that's not Judaism, believe it or not. That, that's even, believe it or not, a heretical thought. Because we say God fills the world and exists beyond, 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 beyond. Okay, now you have Torah. Um, so, so in understanding this relationship, which is so crucial, I want to talk about death. And, um, you know, the, the, the Parsha that we just had, the Paraduma, which is the ashes of the red heifer, it's so... It's so deep. It's so deep. Um, and maybe we can just begin to scratch the surface of it a little bit today. So there's a thought that I've seen in, from Rav Frumer in, in the Eretz Fee. Um, again, he was the, the Rosh Hashiva of Hachmei Lublin, which is, was, you know, about 100 years ago, the greatest yeshiva in the world. And he was the Rosh Hashiva. And, and I've also seen this thought um, from Reb Tzadok Hakon. So th- th- what I'm about to share for, with you is, is, is a very well-grounded thought in Torah among, among the Torah giants. And I'm sure it goes way back before then, but I'm, I'm telling you that this is a, a very um, well-sourced th- piece of Torah that I'm telling you. And I'm, I'm, taking, um, I'm taking pains to, to share that with you. Because this thought, in my opinion, is a game changer. If you, if you really listen to what I'm about to tell you, and you really think about it, um, it can transform your entire understanding of our relationship with God. Okay? So, so here it is. Here's what, here's what most people think about death. You know, because whenever you talk about a concept, you want to get right to the, to the source of everything. So, so if we're going to talk about death, let's go to the Garden of Eden, right? Because that's, that's where death comes down. And I'm going to, I'm going to 
paraphrase it, and then I'll actually read you the actual line from the Torah itself, because here, here's what I think people think. God says, I think everybody knows, but let me just share it anyway. So God, God warns us, you know, that, that if we eat from the tree of knowledge, it's going to bring death into the world. And I'll, I'll read you the, the exact line, uh, in English anyway. It's, um, it's in Brachis in Genesis. It's, it's chapter 2, um, verse 17, if you want to look it up. And it says, um, of every tree in the garden you may freely eat. That's very important because it shows you that the, the Torah is beginning with a positive commandment. Not, don't do this and don't do that. And God is just this just giant scold, right? That's not the case. It's the opposite. God's saying, enjoy Participate in life. Eat from all the trees. That's very important because like our whole relationship, our whole, you know, knowledge of who God is, is, is beginning here. So God is telling us, enjoy life, right? In fact, it says in the Talmud Yerushalmi that, that we're even going to have to give an account. We're going to have to give an account in heaven at the end of our life. If there were things, and we're talking about permissible things right now. If there were if there were things that we could have enjoyed and we didn't partake in them, you know, there's a famous story about Rav Hirsch, and he was taking a train to 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 the Alps, um, and someone said, you know, was sort of poo pooing this idea that he was going sightseeing or whatever it is, you know, um, and Rav Hirsch said back to him, you know, at, at the end of 120, God is going to ask me, did you see my Alps? Right, so. So, so, so appreciating and enjoying the beauty that God put into the world is, is something that we're supposed to do. And, and, and we'll even have to give an account, says, says the Talmud Yerushalmi, okay? Anyway, so, so it, begins, it begins with this very important phrase, a positive. God's beginning things with a positive. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Very important. And now listen to this. But of the tree of knowledge of good and bad, right? The Eitz Hadas, Tovera, you must not eat thereof, for on the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay? Now, I think it's fair to say, and this is kind of just anecdotal, but this is just kind of based on my, my, uh, unscientific sampling of you know people and their attitudes and things like that. I would say, uh, first observation, most people don't know that it begins with a positive, that everyone should enjoy the fruits of the garden. That's number one. But I want to focus in actually on number two right now. Number two is that here's how people experience that second part, that passage, is if you eat from the tree of knowledge... I'm going to kill you. That's, that, that's what I think most people think. In other words, God is threatening us. They've, A, forgotten about the positive that's at the top of this. And B, they go right to the negative and they receive the negative as a death threat from God who's tyrannically, you know, trying to impose his will on us by threatening us and scaring us with death. So, so that's a drag. <laughs> that's a huge drag. Because again, this is most people's 
This is, this is essentially our first working relationship moment with God. Right? You know, I want to pause to make an aside. We're going to get back to death and the creation of death in a moment. But, um, but let me just say as an aside, if we're talking about firsts, you see, firsts are always very important because firsts contain really a microcosm of everything that's going to come later. So what really is humanity's first interaction with God? That's worth kind of just knowing anyway, just as a separate thought. And I think it's, it's, it's an awesome, awesome thing. God, well, first of all, God has to coax Adam into the Garden of Eden. You know, there, there are two different versions of how um, Adam is created. He's, he's, he's formed from the earth of the ground. And Rashi brings two, two, two different opinions. One is that he's taken from the earth of the ground from all four corners of the world. Now that's, that's a beautiful thought in and of itself. And this is my thought, I guess, just because I haven't seen it elsewhere. So, um, which is that, do you, do you know how a vaccine works? So, so I'll tell you, it's a little bit, it's a little bit counterintuitive. You would think the last thing I want is if I don't want some disease, the last thing I want is the disease put into me. <laughs> that's, that's the last thing that I want, you know, and yet that's, that's actually how a virus works or a vaccine works. A person is injected with a trace amount of the malady of the disease, right? Of the virus. And it's just enough that the that the uh, that our bodies learn how to defeat and conquer the disease. And now that it has the, the the genetic sort of brain of how to how to counteract the disease, if the person is ever exposed later, the body already is like, I got this, I know what to do. And it can attack the thing, and it's already been trained, and it's already, uh, you know, it will be successful. That's an amazing thing, and again, very counterintuitive. Um, so I want to say that's the case. If God, and God sees the future, God knows everything, God knew that we were going to go into exile. God knew that we were going to leave the Garden of Eden. So what does God do? He makes us out of earth from the four corners of the world, which means that no matter how far we travel in exile, we've already been inoculated against exile. Do you understand? Because we've been made from the four corners of the earth of exile, and it's or, or, we've already overcome it, we already understand it. We know how to counteract it. Um, God makes us, and then it says that the rabbis teach that that God had to actually. So, so the second opinion is that we were actually made from from Earth, where the altar, the mizbeach, is in Yerushalayim, in the base of Migdash of the Holy Temple. The 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 there's um from from the altar there were two holes in the altar. And when you would do the wine libation, right? Sometimes certain 
certain offerings, certain ones of the carbonos would require wine, or sometimes even water, like on sukkahs. And so you'd you'd pour them in those little holes on the on, on the altar on the mizbeach, and the water would run down, and there were these sort of pockets of earth, holes in the earth, where the water would drain into, below the surface of the altar. So here's the question. You ready for this? When those holes were made initially, where did that dirt go? Because you don't have a hole unless you dig something out, right? So when those holes were dug out originally, what was done with that earth? You ready for the answer? You and me, that was done with the earth. <laughs> that is the location of the of where God took the earth to make us. Now that's awesome. That's an awesome, awesome thought because let's let's think this through. And Rabbi Wolfson talks about this in Emunasetecha. That means because remember everything that's brought on the altar is brought um for kapara, for, is brought for forgiveness. That means that we're made out of forgiveness. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine how God anticipated from the outset our humanity and our failability and our vulnerability and created us out of forgiveness? And by the way, since we're talking about firsts, when God is numbering the first seven days of creation, it begins with Yom Echad, one day. It should say the first day, because all the other days are the second day and the third day and the fourth day. So the first day should be just that, the first day, Yom Rishon. That means the first. It doesn't say that. It says Yom Echad. It's grammatically out of sync with the, with the, with the rest of the days. Yom Echad, right? Everyone knows Echad means one. So that means a lot of things. One of the things it means is that before the world was created, or when the world was first created, all that existed was God, Echad. Right? We say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. God is one. So, so all that existed was God before the world was created, and all that existed was God after the world was created. So the first day of creation is called Yom Echad. That we could stop right there. <laughs> but let's keep going. The Gemara gives one of its gematrias. Remember, gematria is not some recent invention from the Rebbe's, the, the, the numerical, numerical equivalents of words. They're, they're very significant gematrias given by the Gemara. In fact, the 39 categories of labor for Shabbos of building the base of Migdash, which is an incredibly uh, important categorization, those 39 categories, the fact that they're 39 is derived from a, from a gematria, by the way. So just to show you that gematrias are not just homiletical, they're not just for drushas, but, but real halachic things, very significant halachic things are learned out from gematrias. Anyway, one of the coolest gematrias is Yom Echad, the first day of creation. Um, well, Hasatan, 
right? Remember, we God created this this force. There's all we have is one power in the world, but God created a force that that tests us, right? And it takes different forms, um, three basic forms. What we call the Malachamavis, which we're going to get back to, the angel of death. We would translate it as that. Uh, the Yetzahara, known as the evil inclination or the negative inclination, and the Satan, the heavenly accuser. So this is all one energy, right? It's got a few different names, and each aspect of it, one will attack our bodies, one attacks us in heaven, like by making accusations, trying to get decrees put upon us, Um, and one sort of influences us individually, like our, our thinking, trying to pull us to a negative place. Or actually to kill us, actually to kill us. That our decision should go in a place that, that should lead to our own death. By the way, I just found that. That's in the, I, I was quoting a teacher that I learned it from, but I just saw it this week. That's, that's actually in the Gomorrah. That's uh, Gomorrah Kedushin, page uh, 30b, if you want to look that up. If you want to see that the Yetzirah actually wants to kill us, there it is, Kedushin 30b. Anyway, um, what's the point? Hasatan, right, this aspect of that energy is gematria 364. Okay, 364. So the rabbis say, well, wait a second, isn't that interesting? Because there's 600, 365 days in the year. Hasatan, the, the, the Satan, right, this heavenly accuser, is the numerical equivalent, 364. There are 365 days days in the year. That means that there's one day of the year where the Satan is out of business. What day is that? Yom Kippur. Because it's a day of total forgiveness. Now, we can return back to the initial point. What do we say? We said God either made us from the earth, from the four corners of the world to inoculate us against exile, like the way a vaccine works, or He made us from the earth underneath the altar in the holy temple because we're made out of forgiveness, right? Because God is anticipating our humanity and the fact that we're going to make mistakes. And Yom Echad, the first day of creation, correlates with Yom Kippur. Because Yom Echad, there's one day out of the year where the Satan is out of business. In other words, the foundation of all of time and space is forgiveness. <laughs> so how much does God love us? How much does God love us? God loves us so much. All right, so now let's get back to the idea of death. Here's what the average person thinks in the world who knows like the tiniest bit of quote-unquote religion, whatever that is. You know, by the way, I, I, I learned from Rabbi Tatz, there, in Hebrew, there is no word for religion. Isn't that funny? Because it's either true or it's not true. And if it's true, it's reality itself. What is religion? Religion is, I'm doing my thing, but, you know, for extra credit... You know, I'll be a little bit religious, you know. 
It would be nice. I'll like myself more. Other people will like me more, maybe, if I do it right. Who knows? No such thing. There's no such thing as religion. There's either reality or there isn't reality. You know, I heard Rabbi Green say, you know, tremendous Rosh Hashiva, just super genius, hilarious, great musician, fantastic person. He said, you know what? If if God said, you know what our job is? You are to go bowling 24 hours a day. He said, you know what I would do? I'd be at the bowling alley. Is it's either it's it's not r- religion. Religion gets back to my initial sort of complaint. There's apples in the world, right? And there's computers, and there are airplanes, and there's religion, and there are fish. <laughs> oh, religion is just another thing of many things in this beautiful, rich world that I live in. It's that's not correct thinking. You're deluding yourself. You're deluding yourself if you think that this is what it is. There's either what there is or what there isn't. And Hashem, who made the world, the creator of the world, He Himself is telling us what is in His world and what He wants of us. That's the Torah. Those are the mitzvahs. Okay. But again, He's the one who loves us the most. So now, here's what most people who know, and now I'm going to use the word very consciously, here's what people who know a little religion, right, quote-unquote, think. God says, if you eat from the tree of knowledge, I'm going to kill you. And now, here's my question to you. Who wants to be in a relationship with a God like that? I don't. Okay, so so let's get into exactly what happened when death came into the world, okay? We have to understand this, because what God said was actually very accurate. We ate from the tree of knowledge, and death did come into the world. So how is this attitude that I'm putting up and, and mocking, how is it incorrect exactly? Seems to me pretty correct. You know, you can phrase it however you want and spin it however you want, but weed from the tree and God puts death in the world. But it's it's not the case. It's not the case. Okay, so how is it not the case? So let's go deeper. So... There's a Mishnah in Pirkei Avos that I think everybody knows, but let's just go over it, which says that if you do a mitzvah, you you create a positive angel, right? And if you make an Avera, if someone does something negative, something wrong, then they create a, you know, also an angel, but it's a it's 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 negative, it's it's a a, a you know a an accuser, essentially, that they've created. So, I think for a lot of people, you know, it's sort of like, um, hey, we're living in the 21st century, why are you talking to me about angels? <laughs> like, give me a break. 
I thought we're all intelligent, enlightened people here. Like, you seriously want to discuss angels with me? It's like, I'll, I'll tell you what. You finish your discussion. I'm going to go to the supermarket. <laughs> when I come back, let's talk about anything other than angels, okay? So, so let's change the vocabulary. Let's talk about energy, right? That's physics. That's scientific again. Let's just talk about energy, okay? So the example that I always like to give um, is when, when you hug someone that you love, you know, that can be a friend, a parent, a child, a husband, wife, whatever it is. When you hug them and, you know, everyone knows what a, a good hug feels like, right? You just, ah, I'm hugging you, right? You know, sometimes at the Happy Minion, we make a, a joke, we, we see each other and we, we give each other a hug. And if it's a yantif, oftentimes someone will say, hug sameach, right? So... Anyway, <laughs> so you feel it. You feel an energy leaving you. You can feel a life force leaving you or a life force entering you. It's very, very, very visceral. Um, the, this is an ongoing thing, okay? When you do a mitzvah, you also admit a life force, right? If, if let's say you're, you're, you're driving down the street, you see a homeless person, right? You get out of your car, you give them, you walk up to them, hey, brother, can I, can I help you out? You give them some tzedakah. There, there's an energy leaving you at that moment also, 100%. 100%. And depending on how much love and how much effort you put into that act, that will correlate with how much energy leaves you, how much life force leaves you. Now, remember, when we talk about life force, all life force comes from your soul. And what is your soul? Your soul is a piece of God. Your, your, your life force is literally infinite. It's an infinite pool of energy while it's inside of us. So how much of it are we actually transacting and, 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 and putting out into the world, right? So, so here's, here's the interesting, I think everyone would agree with that, even someone who may have checked out when they heard the word angel would agree, well, when you put it that way, I get it, it makes more sense, it's not so mystical, this is... This is normal. This just makes sense, right? There are probably biometrics and things like that can, that will even monitor and show on a graph energy leaving you. So, yeah, okay, I, I'm on board. So here's where Torah kicks in now. Torah will tell you that instead of that energy then dissip, dissipating, it just kind of like floats away and dissolves into the air. no that energy actually has an integrity to it and lasts. Whether it was a small amount of energy that left you or a large amount of energy that left you, 
that will last. And you know what? We have a name for that. You know what it's called? An angel. That's 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 what we call it. Okay? Now, that, that's the positive side of it. I, I'll just give you the negative side of it, and then we'll go back to the Garden of Eden. When a person starts yelling, ah! Right? There's also an energy that's leaving them. For sure, you get red in the face, right? A lot of times you're exhausted after you've finished yelling at someone. For sure, energy is leaving you. Well, that creates a different type of angel, doesn't it? Okay. Something negative. And by the way, you can clear away all of those all of those angels with tshuva, right? Like, let's say you, you kind of like yelled at someone and, and just made a big mess and you created this large negative adversary, right? You can, you can say, um, you, can, you can make peace with that person. Hey, you know something? I was in a terrible mood. I hadn't eaten. I was so tired. I'm so stressed out because of this, that, and the other thing. I, I, I lost it with you. I want you to know I love you. You're my friend. And I know I hurt your feelings. Please forgive me. It's not what I wanted to do. And, and, and I won't do it again. And, and please forgive me. And the person goes, okay, I want you to know you hurt my feelings, but I forgive you. And please don't do it again. I promise I'm not going to do it again. Okay. You know what happens? That, that angel disappears. That negative angel disappears. So, so we, we have this way of doing maintenance on, on, you know, we have this thing called the surrounding light. There's a surrounding light around us, right? I think we talked about last week the idea that each one of us is a letter in the Torah and there's a white space around every letter, right? You can, there's a way to do maintenance on these things. We call it tshuva, Okay. Okay, so now let's get back to our subject. What happened in the Garden of Eden when death came into the world? Did Everyone probably could give the answer themselves at this point. I'm sure everyone's putting two and two together at this point. We created the angel of death. Do you understand? When we, when we went against Hashem's will, we created the angel of death. It was us. God was warning us what would happen. God was not threatening us. God was letting us know what the consequences of our actions would be. God was not threatening us. God was informing us. We created that negativity through our own actions. Do you understand how this is a giant game changer? God is the one who loves us. God is the one who wants to bless us with everything. We create the negativity. And then, as the relationship becomes progressively dysfunctional, after we create the negativity, we blame it on God. 
and then we're angry at God. And then we either don't have any insight into it ourselves, or we're angry at ourselves for doing it because we're not ready to accept the responsibility because it's it just feels like it's better to deny it or to avoid it because I, just, I can't deal with it. It's too much. It's very, very important that you know the PS to this because it goes back to what we were saying early about how much God loves us. Everybody thinks that we got kicked out of the Garden of Eden because we ate from the tree of knowledge. It's not true. It's not true. Look in the Torah itself, you'll see. It's not true. Had we eaten from the tree of knowledge, which we did, and then said, God, I'm so sorry. You know, I, 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 I got confused or, you know what, it looked too good to resist. Uh, uh, I'm so sorry, God. I, I, or I, I really did want to do it and, and I didn't want to listen, but now I feel bad and I, I want to do what's right in your eyes. A, a million ways to say it, right? A million ways to say it. Had we said that, everything would have been okay. But we we did it, and then we hid from God, and then we blamed each other. And there was never a moment where we, we just copped to it. We just owned up to it. And then once, once we hid and blamed it on each other instead of saying, God, I'm sorry, I then God says, Okay, out you go. Let me tell you why that's so significant. Because God says, Of course you make mistakes. Who do you think made you? I'm the one who made you. I know you make mistakes. You don't think I know you make mistakes? I created you out of forgiveness. I built all of time and space on Yom Echad, which correlates with Yom Kippur. I already pre-inoculated you so that you should be able to survive in exile. You don't think I know you make mistakes? I think it's important for all of us to remind ourselves that what's our baseline understanding of ourselves? I'm perfect, but I make a lot of mistakes. But the, my, my default setting is perfection, actually. I just happen to make mistakes. I think most people wouldn't describe themselves like that, but if they thought about it, they'd go, yeah, actually, that is a pretty good description of me. <laughs> I do think of myself... While I'm not making a mistake as perfect, <laughs> until I make a mistake, and then I revert back to my perfect setting. <laughs> Can we stop thinking of ourselves like this? Please? Please? It's so silly. It's so ignorant. I make mistakes. Who are you? I'm, I make mistakes. That's, that's me. But not like, um, therefore, I'm trash and I'm a loser. No. 
I mean, it says Adam, when he was first created, right, was like 200 feet tall. Okay, he was a creature of light. That's how to understand that. That's what that means. You know, he hadn't been sort of like um, imprisoned, so to speak, in this in this physical realm, you know, where we become like, quote unquote, normal size, right? I mean, there was an elasticity to the material realm where he could really be that that large, right? But even in that state, my point is, even in that state, as a creature of light, he was imperfect. You understand? The, the, the other aspects of creation looked at the first human being and, and thought that human beings were also God. And he was imperfect. So what I'm trying to say is, is that when we think about ourselves, let's just understand that we're all imperfect and not... And again, I don't think anyone does this consciously, but that's why I'm sharing this with you, because the stuff that you already know, what do you need me for, right? I'm trying to tell you something new. I'm trying to uncover some stuff here. So to the extent that unconsciously we think of ourselves as perfect until we make a mistake, let's just avoid that first step and not think of ourselves as perfect to begin with, even if it's on an unconscious level. We're Let's be consciously imperfect, because if we can do that, there's a wonderful blessing that comes with that. It's called humility. And it's called reality. And we can still be 200 feet tall, right? Doesn't mean we're diminishing our greatness as human beings. But I think of ourselves that way. It just means that we're being real, that's all. Now, I saw something from Rob Frummer that I thought was very, very interesting. Remember, the paraduma, the ashes of the red heifer, remove something called tumas mace, which means the spiritual impurity that someone con- contracts um, when, they, when they get in touch with a dead body or bones or whatever it is, Okay. So we want to get the tumas mace off of us. We want to get the impurity of death off of us. Now, Raphimer points out that in the Gomorrah, three averas, three sins, if you want to call them, if you want to get, feels like, a, doesn't feel so Jewish this phrasing, but if you want to call them cardinal sins, right, um, are called tuma. In other words, there are only three averas, three wrongdoings, that actually the Gomorrah labels as tuma, impurity, okay? So so what are those three? And it won't surprise you when I tell you the three, because it's, I'll say it in Hebrew, it's avodah shvi chastamim, and gilyarayas, which means um, idol worship, uh, sexual immorality, and 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 murder essentially right so those of course are the famously the the three things that we were doing that that made us chayev, made us you know you know uh subject to the to the destruction of the first holy temple in Jerusalem right also known as the big three 
right? Those are, those are the three where if someone were to say to you, I'm going to shoot you unless you do one of these three things, then a person is actually obligated to die, Al-Kiddush Hashem, to sanctify God's name, rather than do these three things, all right? If someone were to say to you, um, put a gun to you, um, God forbid, and say, eat this piece of ham, or I'm going to shoot you, you're actually allowed to eat the piece of ham under most conditions. There are rare exceptions, but under most conditions, yes, you, you, you could eat the ham. But someone says, bow down to this idol or I'm going to shoot you, you have to say, fire away. Right? So, so now, what is the source of all tuma? If we, all spiritual impurity, what is the source of it all? And the answer is from the creation of death. Death creates, it's, it's the source. If we want to go deep, 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 deep and get to the source of it all, where, when did Tuma, when did spiritual impurity enter into the world? And the answer is, when we ate from the tree of knowledge and we created this negative angel called the angel of death. Now listen to this very interesting thing that Rob, Rob Frimmer says right now. He says, every Avera has three aspects to it. Every time we do something wrong, it's got three aspects of it. There's a little idol worship in it. There's a little murder in it. <laughs> and there's a little sexual immorality in it. Every sin. Because, again, just the Torah math of it all is that we created death, which is Tumas Mace, and these are the three things that are called Tuma by the Gomorrah. Okay, so how does it work? How does it work? So the Zohar says that every time someone does something wrong, they're violating the commandment, the first of all the commandments, I am God, your God. Isn't that interesting? Because if, if, God is, if God is saying that all that exists is me, and this is what I want from you, and then we do something that God doesn't want, then there's a little taste of idol worship in it. Because at that point, if we're not serving God, who are we serving? We're serving some, something else, even if it's ourselves. But, but this is the Zohar now. So the Zohar says that every Avera has some idol worship in it, because every Avera, if you get to the root, root, root of it, is going against this idea of Hashem saying, I am Hashem, your God. Very interesting. That in itself is a very interesting thought. Okay. Bloodletting? How so? Because if I, if I do an Avera, if I do something wrong, I'm either the person I do it against, I'm killing that person a little bit, by doing something wrong, I'm diminishing myself. I'm killing myself a little bit. And since we all share one soul, the whole Jewish people, I'm, I'm killing the Jewish people a little bit. That's the, that's the bloodletting aspect of Inavera. Now this one is like heavy. You ready for this? 
What about the sexual immorality? <laughs> because from every time I do something wrong, you ready for this? I take a little pleasure in it. <laughs> that interesting? I, I find that fascinating. I find that fascinating. And he actually goes further in it, but I, I, don't, want to, I don't want to go too far with that thought. So, but anyway, so, so every, everything, every time we do something wrong, because it all goes back to creating the angel of death, and the angel of death put Tuma in the world, and the Gomorrah says, Tuma is in these three things, idol worship, sexual immorality, and murder. Every sin has an aspect of these three energies in them. Interesting. Interesting. Um, okay. So, so, so our frimer goes on. And he says that that what happened is, you know, this week, this Thursday, is the seventeenth of Tammuz. It's a fast on Thursday, right? It's a it's a day fast, so it starts the morning of of Thursday, this Thursday. And what happened this Thursday? This Thursday is the day that we made the 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 golden calf, and it's also the day that Moshe broke the luchos. He broke the tablets. So, Rav Frimer makes a very interesting uh, visual. He, he makes a parallel. You see, the Medrash teaches that before, you know, you have the letters were carved into the, into the tablets. And very interestingly, before Moshe smashed the tablets, the letters floated up into heaven and left the tablets. Isn't that interesting? By the way, I saw from the Alshech something so awesome. You ready for this? According to the Alshech, do you know where the letters went? Right? Isn't that just so fantastically Jewish? It's like we're not happy enough just to say, wow, the letters floated out of the tablets. We want to know where they go. <laughs> you ready for this? They went into the second tablets. Isn't that great? <laughs> because the second tablets were the same letters, at least. I mean, the, the second tablets weren't as miraculous as the first tablets, but, but the, the, the writing was the same. The Torah didn't change. So... So the letters went into the second tablets. That's actually a very important Torah. Um, it's from this is from Reb Labela Eger, who who says who points out something that uh, after Moshe smashed the luchos, after he smashed the tablets, well, the very first commandment was, as we mentioned, "I am God, your God." So when when, when Moshe smashed the tablets, the Jewish people had a, had a crisis. They wondered, is God still our God? Isn't that heavy? Is God still our God? Because now the tablets are smashed. That's why it was so important, so meaningful, that when the second tablets came, right, 
that they began the exact same way. God says, I am God, your God. So, so what Rip Libula Eager says is that, you know, we have ups and downs in lives, in, in our lives, we all do. And certainly we see that there are ups and downs in Jewish history, right? But never think that God ever stops being our God. God's, God's commitment and God's marriage to us is for all eternity until Mashiach comes. Um, and there are, there are those among us and there are those against us who will claim that, that no, God is no longer your God, but it's a lie. It's a lie. God is still our God and God has never stopped being our God. And God will continue to be our God. And the marriage between Hashem and the Jewish people has never ended. And by the way, everyone in the world, we're all God's children also. Let's not forget that. We're all God's children. But God gave us the Torah and God gave us this role to play. But we have to all love each other and respect each other. You know, and we're all God's children. That's, you know... That's that. That's very important. So I, I want to give an example of that because I think that this is a. Uh, I think this is very important to keep in mind. See, because time time plays tricks on us, and sometimes we wait a long time for something. Like it says, anima mim, right? I believe with, with perfect faith that, that Mashiach is coming. And, and, and the Rambam made this, made, made this, that even though, like this is one of those old Englishy phrases, right? Even though he may tarry, right? We don't use that word. Oh, you tarried greatly at the supermarket, right? We, it's not very conversational these days. Tarry means like, Take a long time. Even though Mashiach is tarrying, right? Even though the arrival of the Messiah is taking a long time, still it doesn't it doesn't throw us. We still believe completely in in God's promises. Okay? But there are those that if something takes a long time, they go, I'm not gonna be a sucker. The whole thing's made up. Right? So what am I sticking around for? Let me do what I want. So, to address that very human instinct within us, I want to tell you the following teaching, which is really worth contemplating. I hope that you'll really think about this a lot, okay? I don't remember who I heard this from first, um, but uh, it's not my own thought, but I love this thought. It's a fantastic thought. Okay, so the Torah begins famously, right? Breshis bara elokim es hashemayim v'es out of beginnings, in the beginning, right? With beginnings, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay. So look at the first Rashi there, right? Rashi, our master commentator on all of Torah. The written Torah, the oral Torah, everything, right? You always have to look at Rashi. So the very first Rashi, right? On, on creation, what does it say? It says that um, 
Why is God telling us that he created the heavens and the earth? Because God is giving the Jewish people the land of Israel. And in the future, and the one who creates the entire existence can give whatever he wants to whomever he wants. And he's giving us the land of Israel. And in the he's in the future, there will be people who will call the Jewish people gangsters. They'll say, you took Israel from us. And so the very first Rashi is saying, God who created the world and who owns the entire world gave us Israel and it belongs to us. And there will be people who will accuse us, but you know what? As my mother would like to say, nuts to them. (laughs) You don't hear that expression too often anymore. Nuts to them, right? Like, you can accuse all you like. It belongs to God and God gave it to us. Like, you know, I'm not going to apologize. I'm sorry. It's ours. Okay, now, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because Rashi wrote this approximately in the 1100s. Now, remember, I'm talking about the nature of time right now. I want you to really hear this next part. Really concentrate, okay? When Rashi wrote that God gave us the land of Israel and that we're going to get it back and the nations are going to say, you took it from us, we had been exiled from the land for 1,000 years already. And we weren't going to get the land back for approximately another thousand years. (laughs) I'm going to say that again. We're not finished with the point yet, but I really want you to hear this. When Rashi wrote that God gave us the land and it's ours and people are going to say you took it from us and everything like that, like you're, like that Rashi is like you're reading the New York Times, right? It sounds like you're reading the New York Times. He wrote it after we had been exiled from Israel for a thousand years already. And this Rashi was not going to be relevant again for approximately another thousand years. Now, what I'm asking you is to put yourself in the shoes of the people reading this Rashi from approximately the 1100s to approximately 1948. (laughs) What were, how were people reading that Rashi for 800 years, approximately? What are you talking about? We haven't been in the land in 1,500 years, in 1,600 years. In 1,700 years, what is Rashi talking about? We're not getting the land back. No one's accusing us of anything. And there it is. You read that Rashi, it's like you're reading today's newspapers. So, Hashem says through the Navi, the prophet, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. Right? We've got our Timex, or you know, if you're a fancy guy, you got your Rolex. And it's like, hey, brother, you're five minutes late. 
You know, I got things to do. And God's thinking in terms of hundreds and thousands of years. God is thinking in terms of eternity. Right? You know, the Ramban answers this question at the end of Parsha's bow. Famous Ramban, right? You can see it yourself. Go to the end of Parsha's bow. You can read it yourself. The Ramban answers a question that so many people ask. How come God stopped making miracles? Where's the splitting of the Red Sea in my days? Right? I want to see the splitting of the Red Sea in my days. What's God doing? And I'm paraphrasing the Ramban. You know what the Ramban says? God already did it. (laughs) He's got to do it again for you. He already did it. So you're looking at your watch. Ah, God's got a very different watch than you do. You think it, it happened any less because you didn't see it with your eyes? There's a story in the Gomorrah. I love this story. Because when I first read it, it was like, it was the, I just absolutely didn't see the end of the story coming. Rabbi Yochanan was the the one who put the whole uh, Talmud Yerushalmi together, right? He he was the main teacher of those of those teachings, okay? And they say that the Talmud Yerushalmi is even higher than, than the Talmud Bavli, okay? So Rabbi Yochanan is, you know, we're talking about like a Rabbi Kiva, like a Moshe Rabbeinu figure in, in Rabbi Yochanan. One of the greatest of the greatest of the great. So he was teaching something about how the walls of Jerusalem in the future are going to be, you know, like giant pearls, right? Like stories high, pearls that are stories high. And there was a student who was going, give me a break, come on. I don't know if he said it out loud, but he was just like, come on. Pearls are like, you know, pearl is the size of a pearl. What are you talking about? The size of walls. Come on. He, this same student was on a ship, and I guess God blessed him, God privileged him to see a vision of the angels carving out these giant walls made out of pearls. And the student when he returned from his trip, very, like, excitedly, went back to Rabbi Yochanan. And he said, that thing that you were teaching, he said, I saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. And Rabbi Yochanan says back to him, fool! You had to see it with your own eyes to believe it? That, that slap that he gave to that person's face with those words, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it on my face. I am feeling Rabbi Yochanan's slap on my face to this day. It's like echoing through the ages, that slap. Fool! You had to see it with your own eyes to believe it?
Where's the splitting of the Red Sea in my day? In approximately the 1100s, the Ramban said, God already did it. (laughs) But he's got to do it just for you. He already did it. Can you imagine Pavarotti, right? Pavarotti has just given, like, he's at the Metropolitan Opera. And he's just, right? He's just given, like, this, like, multi-hour performance where he's, like, you know, just operatizing, right? To make up a word. Like, just, like, 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 beyond, beyond, like, and then imagine, imagine I come in with five minutes left to the performance. Okay? Five minutes left to the performance. And I walk on stage and I say, I'm sorry I'm late. Can you do it again, please? (laughs) I missed it. I missed it. I'm sorry. I'm big fan. Big fan. Just could you... Could you do it again? I'm, I'm going to run to my seat right now. Please. Big fan. What a chutzpah. What a chutzpah. Yeah, if God split the sea in my day. But, hmm. old news guy. So, so what happened with the Luchos? What happened with the Luchos is, is the letters flew out. And now listen to this bit of imagery. Raffirmer says what the letters are to the tablets Right, because the, the the letters are like light, like divine light, and the tablets are like stone. Okay, what the letters are to the tablets, you ready for this? That's what the soul is to the body. What the letters are to the tablets, that's what the soul is to the body. And when the soul flies out of the body, that's called death. And by the way, when the letters flew out of the tablets, that was also a form of death. You know why? Because that was the performance of the mitzvahs without the light of the mitzvahs. Have you ever seen people do mitzvahs and they're just dead inside? They've got no relationship with God. It's all coming. It's all an intellectual exercise. I was told to do this, so I do this, so whatever it is. There's no relationship. That's, 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 that's the physical body working without a soul. Those are the tablets without the light of the mitzvahs, without the inspiration of the mitzvahs, without the, the love affair between us and God being transacted. So how do you fix it? What happens once the soul leaves the body? What happens once the letters leave the tablets? How do you fix it? How do you fix that form of death? 
So the paraduma, which removes the impurity of death, the ashes of the red heifer, which remove the impurity of death, it's called Parshas Chukas. Zos Chukas HaTorah. This is the Chok. This is the, the Chok of the Torah. What does Chukas mean? So we, we learned from Reb Shlomo last week, but, but that a Chok is like a scratching, but like the good kind of scratching, like, ah, oh, we scratch my back, right? I've got an itch scratching. But it also means a carving, right? So when you... When you make a space, when you make a space within yourself, when you, when you open up your heart, right? When you make that opening for the letters again, then the light comes back in. And God blesses us with a new heart. That's what it means when you have a, when you, when you have a, to have a new heart. It means that you open up your heart again. You know, I, I can't discuss that without telling you just one of the all-time greatest pieces of Torah from the Kutzka Rebbe, right? I'm sure half of you know what I'm going to say, but as Rib Shlomo would say, it's always good to hear again. Um, so it says in it says in the Via Hafta that you should love God, and God says, take these words and put them all levavecha on your heart. So if you think about it, the, the phrasing is kind of strange. It should say, in your heart. Take these words of mine and put them in your heart. But it says, take these words of mine and put them on your heart. And so the Katsukarebi explains that God knows that our hearts are closed most of the time. We can't put them in our heart because our hearts are so closed. Our hearts are like rocks. So God says, you know what? Put them on your heart, because in those moments where your heart actually does open, they'll be right there to fall in. And when they fall in, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have a new heart. (laughs) You're going to be a new person. I want to address a couple of things. Um... You know, we have we have the death of of um, Miriam in Parshas Chukas, and we have the death of Aaron in Parshas Chukas, and we have Moshe hitting the rock where he's told that he's also going to die. He doesn't die, but he's told that he's going to die. So it's an amazing thing. Can you imagine in Parshas Chukas, which begins with the removal of death? That's the Parsha that has the death of Miriam, Aaron, and essentially the death sentence of Moshe. Very, very powerful. Very, very interesting. But it begins how? With the banishment of death. Because we know that death is going to go away. Death is a temporary thing. Death is not forever. Death will go away. And again, we're talking about on Hashem's timeline, right? Which is a more expansive timeline. But but that's what it is. Now, I'm going to put it this way because something hit me that kind of blew my mind a little bit this Shabbos, and I just want to share it with you. 
because I've never heard it said like this before, so I'm, I'm going to say it like this. If I asked you, why did Moshe die? You know, you'll tell me because he hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And that's, that's, that's certainly a correct answer, but I want to say something different. By the way, everyone's got this question. Let's just address it while we're on the subject, which is, why did Hashem tell Moshe to take his staff if he didn't want him to hit the rock? Because what it says is, Hashem says, take your staff and speak to the rock. And earlier in the Torah, in Parsha Shmos, in the book of Exodus, God says, take your staff and hit the rock. So now God says, like way later, take your staff and speak to the rock. So I think that this is a nice idea, um, which is that God wanted to illustrate on one level I, this is not my thought, I, I don't remember who said this, but God wanted to illustrate on some level how much the Jewish people had grown. Like, it didn't have to be through coercion, it didn't have to be through hitting anymore. So then, why did God tell him to take the staff in his hand and speak to the rock? Why did he tell him to take the staff in his hand? To not use it. Take the staff in your hand and show how you're not using it because the Jewish people have grown and they don't need that level of coercion anymore because they want to do the mitzvahs. And now speak to the rock because now this is outrageous. Speak to the rock because you'll see that even inanimate objects are doing the will of God. And for all of history, the greatest Kiddush Hashem is going to be that all of reality is participating and following the word of God. And everyone is going to see it when you speak to the rock and the rock shoots out water. That's going to be awesome. Because God sort of bemoaned, and you'll see it right in the lines of the Torah, God bemoans the fact that there was a sanctification of God's name that was supposed to take place. This demonstration that even inanimate objects are serving God. And it didn't, it didn't take place. Okay, so now I want to say something different. It's not as deep, but it's sort of striking. So let me share it with you. Why did Moshe die? You ready? Because Miriam died. Okay, let me explain it. Why did Moshe die? Because Miriam died. That's why Moshe died. Okay. When Miriam died, remember, there were three great miracles that followed the Jewish people throughout their 40 years in the desert. One was the clouds of glory, which protected us from the sun and snakes. And they were like, if you fired arrows at the Jewish people, they'd bounce off these clouds of glory, the Ananiya Kovet. Okay, those were in the merit of Aaron, right? Imagine Aaron in the Holy of Holies with the incense rising around him, right? That holy incense was like on a year-round basis with the clouds, okay? Mana, food, came down from heaven, man. That was in the merit of Moshe. And water, this well of Miriam, this reservoir of water followed us as well. That was in the merit Oh, I'm sorry, the man was in the merit of Moshe. The water was in the merit of Miriam. When Miriam died, this blessing 
of the traveling well also stopped. So why did Moshe have to either speak to the rock or he ends up hitting the rock? Why did he have to do that? Because the blessing of the water stopped. Why did the blessing of the water stop? Because Miriam died. Do you understand? So why did Moshe die? Because he gets the decree of death when he hits the rock to get the water. Why did Moshe die? Because Miriam died. So let's go a little bit deeper. When Moshe's first born, he's put on in a little, like a little basket, right? Baby Moses, right? He's put in a little basket and he's floated on the Nile. And who's watching out for him while Moshe's on the water? Miriam. Miriam is protecting Moshe from the water making sure that he doesn't drown, making sure that he gets into the right hands. Isn't that something? This relationship between Miriam and Moshe and water and how Moshe's big sister was protecting Moshe his entire life. And when she wasn't around anymore, Moshe dies. I like that because um, the Torah is working on so many different levels and we always have to, you know, stay in touch with the, the human level as well, you know? So there's the human level. Um, let me share one more thought and and uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up. Short. But but it will tie everything together because it's getting back to us creating the angel of death at the beginning. So the paraduma is fixing the impurity that comes from death. So a duma, par means cow, and a duma means red. Okay? The red cow, par, a duma. If you look at the word aduma, it's the same word as edom. Edom means Esav. That's Yaakov Avinu's brother and the adversary of the Jewish people, right? Synonymous with the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, which is synonymous with death. You want to hear something wild? Let me tell you something wild. Miriam dies. Then Aaron dies. All right? And the Jewish people have to journey forward in the desert. You know what their next stop is? The kingdom of Edom. Edom, which stands for death, which stands for our adversary. And Moshe says, let us go through you. We won't go to the left and we won't go to the right and we won't drink any of your water and we won't eat any of your crops and we'll just go straight through. Right? And Adam says, I'm meeting you with the sword. The energy of death says, I'm meeting you with death and you're going to have to go around me. In other words, here's this moment where Moshe is taking on death in the world. 
And now that Moshe has been sentenced to death himself, death is going to remain a fixture in the world. We have to walk around Edom. We have to account, continue to account for the presence of Edom in this world. The par aduma, Edom and aduma, is the same word, the red heifer. Death, Edom, has this color red. Well, blood is red, right? Makes sense. Edom lives by the sword. That's death. So when we get rid of death, we get rid of Edom. Edom is also the final exile of the Jewish people, which correlates with the end of death. And now listen to this. There's one detail that I've been struggling to explain just for myself, but I'll I'll share with you my own explanation to myself, okay? What about this other detail that the that the paraduma can't have been yoked. Isn't that interesting? You could have a perfectly red cow, which is rarer than rare. It says that we've had nine throughout history. We're waiting for the tenth. Rare on top of rare. You can have a perfectly red heifer, but if you put a yoke on him and he pulled your, your plow, it's, it's not a kosher red heifer. You just blew it. It can't have had a yoke on it. Why this detail? I can understand it's got to be perfectly red. Red is Edom, and that's the energy of death, and this is removing the impurity of death. I get the red part. Why can't it have a yoke on it? What is that weird detail? And I think it's a mita connected mita, right? A perfect correlation, one for one, energy-wise. Meaning to say what? Because when I went against God and I created death into the world, I was refusing to put God's yoke on me. And by the way, let's just take a moment to explain what a yoke is, because um, this is another wonderful fork in the road where people kind of just leave the proper understanding of Torah and just kind of veer off into la-la land. What is a yoke, okay? So a lot of people want to imagine an ox, and it's sweating, and it's it's pulling, this heavy load, right? And that's what God wants to do to me. He wants to make a beast of burden out of me, loading all these mitzvahs on top of me, right? So basically, a yoke is with the mitzvahs, what we're doing is, first of all, you know, you've got that wonderful uh, parable from the Dubna Magid, which is that the there's a porter and he's like carrying people's like, you know, steamer trunks. Like he goes to the, like to the docks where the big, uh, you know, the Queen Mary is pulling in and, and all the rest. And he's, he's making his money, like just, you know, taking people's luggage and bringing it to their homes. Okay. So, 
So the story is he sees a big giant pile of heavy suitcases and he goes, oh, okay, that's a, that's a good customer. So he, he goes and he's lugging and he's lugging, lugging, lugging these things for a big long distance and he's thinking the entire time, this person better give me a big tip. He better pay me for all this like labor I'm doing. And he gets to the rich man's house and the rich man looks at all that luggage and he goes, oh no, you're mistaken. He says, I just had a little small sack of diamonds. Very, very light. So so the Dubna Magid says, we're doing the mitzvahs and we're lugging them and we're saying, God, you better give me a big, big reward. And God says, what are you talking about? My mitzvahs are like diamonds. They're very light. Very, very light. So what is the Ol Mahu Shemaim? What does it mean that we've got the, that we're, that we're doing that? Imagine you've got heaven above and earth below. And you have heaven attached to your shoulders. And wherever you walk, wherever you ride, you're pulling heaven down to earth with you. That's the yoke that we're talking about. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you've got heaven attached to you. And you're pulling heaven down to earth all the time. That's the yoke that we're talking about. So... The red heifer can never have a yoke on it. You know why? Because I refuse to put the yoke of heaven on me. And so the red heifer has to be the embodiment of red, of death, of blood, of refusing to be contained. That side of me, that energy within me that refuses to have a master over me. I have to take that and elevate it. And when I take that and I, when I use that energy, which refused to have a yoke within me, then I can harness it and use it on behalf of God and get rid of death altogether. Okay. Um, we'll end here. And uh, Hashem should bless us. And just, just maybe just to review what we talked about. We talked about a lot of things. God is the one who wants you to eat from every tree. God is the one who inoculated you from exile, from the very start. God is the one who built time and space on top of Yom Kippur out of forgiveness. God is the one who created you out of forgiveness. God is the one who warns us do this and don't do that, not because he's a tyrant, not because he's threatening you, because he loves us and he wants us to know the consequences of our own actions and what we create with this life force that he puts inside of us. And just to always remember that all of us are God's children and that he loves us to pieces. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.